0: Welcome to ADHD Love Parent Talk, episode 45.
1: There's a lot of educators working with the science of reading. I don't know if you've talked about that. And that's really saying that the way we teach our dyslexic kiddos, all students would benefit from that. Yeah. And we would catch those ones. There are those kids with dyslexia that are that are really mild. That kind of structured teaching within the classroom, mm-hmm. that'll catch that kiddo. That kiddo would maybe never need to be pulled out, right? But the ones that are severe you know, that will still help them because nobody was born, we aren't born with the ability to read, right? Right. We're not. We have to be taught how to
0: read. Hello and welcome to the ADHD Love Parent Talk podcast. If you felt like you have been walking your path alone as an adult with ADHD or as a parent with children with ADHD, you are finally home. I interview parents and professionals, including doctors, coaches, educators, and so much more so you can not only learn more information about ADHD, I also want you to have tools that you can put in your toolbox as you are going through your journey. Hey, my ADHD family, welcome to another episode of ADHD Love Parent Talk, where we talk about all things ADHD. Today, my guest is Elizabeth. We are going to get into ADHD and dyslexia. So dyslexia comes up quite a bit. And so I really wanted to bring in an expert who knows about dyslexia and can just share some of her stories. So Elizabeth, how are you? Welcome. I'm well, thank you. I'm so glad to be here. It's great. Yes, it's great having you. So tell the audience a little bit about yourself.
1: Okay. Well, I'm 49 years old and been married for 27 years. I am a mom of a 17-year-old and an 18-year-old. My 18-year-old is an adhd and I am married to an undiagnosed adhd And pretty sure within the last year, I have discovered that I myself am also <laughs> have ADHD and I am a dyslexic. So- I am a currently a dyslexia consultant and certified Barton reading and spelling tutor. Prior to doing that, I worked the very beginning of my career was um, working with students with learning disabilities in a resource setting and self-contained setting, um, kindergarten through fifth grade. I also have worked with middle school students and I have worked at the college level. So um, at the college level, I was a disability services coordinator. So I caught all the students that were coming out of high school with 504 plans and mm. IEPs and helped them get their accommodations at the college level. So, so I focused cool. on... Sorry.
0: <laughs> no, you're fine. It's, it's just, it's so cool. I mean, you just, there's a lot there. So go ahead.
1: Right, right. I've been focusing on dyslexia for the last seven years. I, I had the opportunity to volunteer for an early intervention program when my children were at a private school. Mm-hmm. And so I got this training and I was volunteering and most volunteers were doing one hour a week. <laughs> I was working with like 10 hours a week as much as I could because I loved it. And that caused me to go get additional training and then kind of move into doing this as a profession. During that training, I realized that all the things I'd struggled with, my whole childhood in schooling and Mm -hmm. and as a college student, um, I was dyslexic too. (laughs) It was very interesting that like all the pieces fit together. And it's so wonderful when you finally know that, oh, that's the reason that I have difficulty spelling and um and and being able to recognize all the ways that I have come up
0: with strategies to overcome those things. So that's perfect. And we're going to we're going to dig into the, the dyslexia part in just a second. But first let's talk about the ADHD portion because I'd like to marry those together. Yeah. So when did you decide to get your teenager you said it, is it 17? He's 17? He's 18. Or, mm-hmm. He's 18 now. Wow. Mm-hmm. So When and why did you decide to have him tested?
1: So during my early career, I worked with lots of students who had lots of different learning styles, learning differences, and I worked with a lot of ADHDers. Sometimes that was their primary diagnosis, and they would come in with their IEP as an other health-impaired label. I don't even know if that's the label they use now. but um, And so I had a lot of experience, and for eight years I worked with students, and then When we had our son, when he was about four, I noticed he could wind up when the kids would wind up. But like when the other kids knew to pull back and settle down, he did not have that skill. So we were sort of always on him to, you know, and people would say, why are you so in his face? Because we we were always like, well, we know if we, if we stop it before it starts, then he won't have to get in trouble. Right. So we would recognize when I would pick him up from the preschool he would step out the door and fall apart (laughs) he would have held it together the whole time he was at school but he would fall apart and he would have these behaviors at home so um we just kind of watched and monitored and um he would i would say things and the teachers you know up until about third grade would say oh he's fine you know you're 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 just he's your kid you're just overreacting but we we were recognizing things and Mm -hmm. i and i had worked with so many kids so about third grade i took him to a psychologist and he sat and read his lego book and she said he doesn't have adhd and she said he's fine and i'm like but you don't understand because he wasn't the kid getting the bad grades and bouncing off the wall and getting in trouble so she did have me do some checklists and she had um the teacher do some checklists and we had all the same peaks but my range was all everything i rated was a lot higher because what i saw at home he was more comfortable there and it showed up more and he had an ability to keep it together at school for the most part so we just you know we kind of had that evaluation and i kind of walked away and you know when you're a parent, it's kind of like all bets are off. You know, you know what you know about professionally, but right. you don't always know. So, um I kind of we just kind of wrote it along. We did strategies. I've always been a believer in even if a student is on medication, that you pair it with strategies, um just because they need to know how to manage themselves. So we just did strategies. Well, about fourth grade, I happened to be volunteering in the cafeteria at school. and my kiddo, I look over and he's like under a table, he just fallen apart. So what was happening is he could no longer manage his own ADHD subconsciously, I guess. And he then had to, he couldn't manage his emotions at the same time. So... We had a well child checkup scheduled anyway, talked to the doctor and she's like, well, didn't you have him tested for ADHD? And I said, well, and I explained and she said, I think he has ADHD, let's try medication. So that was fourth grade and we tried medication and um, he was not the kiddo who did the 180 on medication. You know, Some Mm -hmm. kiddos it's like, oh, it's like a different kid. But he came home from school and said, oh, I could hear today in math. And what he meant was I could process. Nice. what's going on so that's kind of where we left it we just did medication he kept up with his work uh about fifth grade he had a really large project and they'd been working on it in class well the day before it was due or the weekend before it was due he didn't have anything done and I said well didn't the teacher help you and then I finally I confronted the teacher because I had to help him do this entire project and the teacher's like Well, whenever I asked him, he said he was fine. Well, again, he wasn't getting in trouble, but he did not have those executive function skills to complete Mm -hmm. the project. Mm. So then that was about fifth grade. And then homework was managed. We tried some, some things, you know, teaching him to dictate into the computer because getting the words to the paper is really difficult. So we had him dictate doing some things that really worked. But once we hit middle school, then it was, that was the struggle. We were fighting. We'd never fought, you know, those kinds of things. And really it was on and off. And it wasn't until one day he said to a friend um, in a text, I think my mother emotionally abuses me. <laughs> and I was no. like, oh right. yeah. Well, and 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 really I understood completely because it was the the lack of management. Um, how can I manage mm-hmm. him? I wasn't really helping him. Everything I was like, do this, try this. Um, and it didn't work. So yeah. finally I said, All right, we have to go somewhere because we just and and in the in the middle of that, about ninth grade, we did get a five of four plan um at school for, you know, so we got extended time and a few just other extras that were helpful to him but they didn't like fix the problems mm-hmm. right and I don't mean fix him I just right. mean you know mm-hmm. give him the right strategies so finally after after the comment and and we were so frustrated with each other and and you know your your relationship with your kiddo is is really at risk yeah. when you are fighting constantly and really we could narrow it down that we only thought about school mm-hmm. we got along otherwise, but it was just school. It was just constant conflict. So we actually went to Cleveland Clinic to their, um, they have a specialist, mm-hmm. um, department. Uh, I can't think of it right now, the name. Of <laughs> but, um, and he, he had some, first he had some just executive function coach functioning coaching. It was really a lot of the metacognitive level, the thinking about thinking and thinking about his ADHD. And at the time, you know, he was 17 and he said, I don't really want to be diagnosed. I don't care. So we kind of left that in the air, and he had coaching for about, I don't know, three or four months, and we also had some parent coaching from the mm-hmm. same um, person, and it was very helpful. Um, but then about about six months later, he said, and we were at, started, at the start of the pandemic, he said, I really do think I should get a diagnosis. And I had been telling him that he really needed one because of what I knew about college, having caught those students you need to have the documentation just the 504 isn't necessarily enough you need the documentation so he agreed and you know, we did all of the things and in the end he has ADHD inattentive type okay writing severe which is you know it's helpful to know that and and why it was so hard so that's kind of a long story to um kind of how we arrive, but I think he feels better. You know, we, we all feel better. We've confirmed that's what it is. And now it's a matter of, you know, working on how do we manage this?
0: So. That's a really good story. And it's really interesting to hear how he was processing through the journey, right? Right. Not sure I want the diagnosis, but yes, I need the diagnosis. I mean, what do you think really just finally What was that tipping point that moved him to getting the diagnosis? Because you said that at the beginning, it was just like, I don't want this. I don't want to be diagnosed. I don't care. What was that true tipping point? Was it what you had said about college and he wanted to take advantage of certain things? What was it, do you think?
1: Well, and I think there's there's two pieces to that. And the first piece is he had had major surgery after ninth grade. And at that point, never went back on his medication. He said, I don't want to be back on my medication. Okay. He said, I think fast when I'm not on it. And I like to think fast. And he, he said, I know it helps me, but I feel like it didn't help him enough. So but there was that piece. So when we came around a couple years later, then he decided, you know, maybe there's a medication that's right for me. And I said, well, I think this is part of getting that diagnosis mm-hmm. is helpful. And that was the other piece to going to Cleveland Clinic. They had a medication monitoring clinic because we had never found, you know, you see so many kids always oh, on medicine. It's perfect now. And that's not what my kid experienced. So we were able to try. It was like a five week succession. I don't know if that mm-hmm. if you've done that. And it was really helpful. And now he, you know, and even then he has a coach now and that was something they worked on monitoring the medication too and tweaking the the dosages. But I think that was the piece. He knew that he could not do all of this on his own. Gotcha. He knew he needed the medication and he knew the college piece too. You know, it's important to have everything we need so he can go in there equipped.
0: No, I love that. And I love the fact that even through school, you were really advocating because I think that's one of the things that even parents or parents are afraid of is really advocating hard for their children, right? Even as they're trying to figure out what's going on. So what would you say to parents if they are struggling with the advocation piece and are not getting the support that they need at school? What would you say to them?
1: I would say keep going back. Keep telling the teachers, the principal, whoever, what you know. Um, I regret that I didn't push um, further because it wasn't terrible. I, I think I was always, well, when it gets worse, when things are harder, and I think that's the mistake. I would definitely be in contact and, and don't take when a teacher says to you, oh, they're fine. And I mean, we've heard that all along because my kid is a likable kid. Most kids are, but he, you know, he's not getting in trouble and they, um, it, it, the great thing is that Always, teachers have seen the best of him. They see what you see as a parent. You know the intelligent, the the polite. You know, and and that's not always the case. Having worked with other kiddos, that we don't always get the best of them as a teacher. Teachers were getting the best of my kid, as far as that. You know, right. so because he could talk and he could communicate in a way, and he could add to the classes in a way that benefited all the students they weren't as worried about, oh, his work's late, you know. I mean, mm. the child has made it through on late work, you know, <laughs> and which is, you know, he and I had a conversation yesterday and, and, you know, he goes, I think it's actually hurt me that I've been allowed to turn things
0: in late. Yeah, I can see that. And, you know, it's really interesting because you talked about the inattentive type and that's how my daughter is. My daughter is the same way where she's a really smart girl. She is trying her best to get the best grades, but what they don't always see is the stress and the internal conflicts that she is dealing with because she doesn't outwardly speak or display it, right? And so me knowing what she was going through, we decided to do therapy and really work through those emotional situations where she was internalizing. And to your point, it is so important to keep pushing for your children and advocating for your children. So thank you for sharing that. So if someone is struggling with whether they should even get their child diagnosed or not, what would your advice be to them?
1: I would say, go find a specialist. If the first person you talked to, like we did, and we waited years between going, right? Plus we had a doctor who said, oh, I believe you, you're an educator. You know, That was the mistake. I should have gone to another person. I should have kept going till I found the person who knew what we were dealing with because at that point, even though I had read things and I knew, I didn't know how the inattentive type could impact or that, I -hmm. guess I just thought, oh, and actually the words I always used were, oh, he presents like girls with ADHD. I always said that he presents like girls with ADHD, so they don't really think it's valid. You know, mm. it was always, I sort of always had this like, oh, it's an excuse. And if I had that to do over again, I would have, I would have just kept going until I found the right person. And I wouldn't have like waited for my kid to decide, you know, part of it was that. But then, you know, when you get into the, these teen years, it's, it's their people. I mean, they are people earlier too, but mm. you know, you have to respect yeah. what they want too. And it's hard. Um, And again, I think that what I know as a professional, it's so clouded when it comes to my kid that I just, I didn't, wasn't able to like push, but I would highly advise to go with your gut. If you know, just keep on pushing.
0: Love that. All right. So I want to talk about you because I want to connect it to dyslexia in terms of your experience. So you are undiagnosed, but you saw a lot of symptoms and a lot of people are out there undiagnosed and are struggling. So first of all, what is connecting you to ADHD?
1: So through all of this experience, watching my son, and then specifically in this last, I would say really the last year to six months to a year, I started listening to, I have an ADHD podcast, mm-hmm. Kristen Carter. And I was like, I would listen to that and I'd be like, oh, and I talked to my son. And then in the meantime, I'm like, oh, this explains things that are going on in my world. And and my husband, and he's not diagnosed and he would be the inattentive type. And just even when she would talk about finances and managing things, and it was like, oh. And so I sort of was like, oh, maybe that's me. But it wasn't until I was um, having a meeting with Camden <laughs> Love that, Camden. <laughs> I know that she's like you know you have ADHD. She had, she's like I can't diagnose, and I'm like you know I've been wondering, and then then I really kind of dove in. And this was about I think October. I really dove in. I started reading everything. I joined the focused program. Um, so the last six months I've sort of been intensely kind of working on myself, and one of the things I've seen, is I have some really great strategies that I always have had because I knew what I needed and things in my life, like waves in my life, like when my children were young, we were on a routine. And the minute they would go to bed, I would be deep into whatever sewing, knitting, whatever project, which is what kept I would say me regulated. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that, you know, as I look back, I can see like my own strategies that kept kept me from suffering. I don't know that suffering's a very right word, but struggling. Mm-hmm from struggling. Um, So that's, that's kind of it. And then, like I said, in the last, and I I feel for me personally, I have made some changes. And the fact that I can attribute things, like I can explain things, I don't really want to go any further for myself, Mm. right or wrong. Mm -hmm. Like, because yeah. I can explain it, um, yeah. you know, or, and, and, oh, this is not a personal flaw. This per- one particular thing or another particular thing. Oh, that's not a personal fl- flaw. That's ADHD. Yeah. Here's the strategy. Here's how I get over it. And that's right. kind of where I am. If that makes sense.
0: No, it makes perfect sense. And that's what I want people to really get from what you're saying. I decided to go ahead and go through the diagnosis last year at 45, because I wanted some validation and I wanted to be able to connect with my kids and really understand just kind of the overall picture and what they were going through. And part, and when I talk about validation, I just remember all of the struggles that I went through as a child, as a teenager, as a college student. And I just never understood why. Was I doing the things that I was doing and why was I struggling so much? So when I got the diagnosis and really understood what the diagnosis was about for me, that was validating, but I want people to understand that everybody does not have to get a diagnosis. You can still put strategies in place. As you said, if there isn't a reason like medication or you need it for college, you don't have to get the diagnosis. Now. Some people say you should just go ahead and get tested and just see, but that's really up to the person's decision, right? I agree. Yeah. So I just want to talk about a couple strategies that you've put in place just to help you through some of your struggles.
1: So really just with my day-to-day management of things, for example, even like when I work with students, each student has a binder that's a set order. Mm-hmm. There are things like that because if I do it any other way, I can't do it and I can't stand that flustered feeling. (laughs) Literally, I do note cards every day. So here's my here's my Thursday card. I do a note card every day. I jot down the things that that need to be done or that I want to accomplish, but I don't use anything larger than a note card now. And I've just been doing that about six months. And I keep my digital calendar and that's separate. I don't, so I don't need to rewrite appointments. And then I actually have a, a large whiteboard. And as something comes up that I need to do, I get it on the whiteboard for work, for home, whatever. I just put it up there. And then I take that's where I get what I need for my card each day. And it's, it seems so simple, but it's helpful. It, it just really is because if I don't have a, a landing spot for the information in my brain, then that's all I'm thinking about. And I would obsess over things like, oh, I have to do it. I have to do it. And then that interferes with the other thing you're trying to do. I recognize when I'm multitasking and I stop myself from it because as much as it's so great to multitask, it really isn't great for me. Um, (laughs) I'm just trying to think. And I have systems in place like there's a clipboard in the kitchen with the grocery, blank grocery thing, and it has the menu, and I, you know, I keep things there. I, I do things the same way. There's just so many things I do the same way, and I recognize that those were things I did prior to recognizing my own ADHD, but I did them because they worked, <laughs> and I learned like very, in college, I really could modify like how I studied or adapt I had a lot of strategies in place so like that's kind of like one of my gifted areas so to speak I I know how to modify that was something I can do I can look at what a student's doing and I can modify it right there and I didn't did that for myself and I recognize that now like oh that was like that was how I coped and I was lucky that I could put these kind of systems in place um so there I have a lot of like little Systems like that, and just you know, and I can be really organized. Like, if you open up the closet where all of my teaching supplies are, it's beautiful. If you open up wh- my closet where my clothes are, it looks like you know, a tornado. A tornado I was gonna say <laughs> because, yeah, I my my functioning doesn't I don't care about my clothes, like it, that doesn't bother me, I you know? know. Um, you open my drawers and they're a mess, but not here, <laughs> not in my workspace. And and that's okay. It doesn't have to be. And, and, and recognizing that that is not a personal flaw either. You know, that's the thing of the last year is like, oh, I'm not bad because my closet's messy. I don't care about that particular, I don't care if my clothing closet isn't neat. That doesn't matter. It doesn't serve me in a bad way. But if my work closet is a mess, I cannot function because if I have to spend my time looking for things. So
0: you know, it's really interesting. And I said, I'm going to actually take one of Elizabeth's strategies. I just bought a whiteboard. I actually am a guest teacher for Kristen. So love her to death too. Wonderful. And I bought a whiteboard and I thought, okay, hey, what else am I going to use this for? And now you just gave me an idea because right, right now I put a list down. Yeah. I actually have a list, but I keep it in like one of my notebooks, but I'm like, to put it in front of me and keep it in front of me at all times not have to have to open up the notebook i think that would be even better so see Right. I even, well, and I, that's the thing.
1: I, I tried planners. I've tried every planner system. Yeah. And 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 what would happen is I would obsess over, oh, and I have to move this. And, right. oh, you know, and so the card thing has really, really helped in the whiteboard. And, and like my husband just put that up for me, I don't know, maybe in November. And it's just okay. made all the
0: difference. So love it. Love it. All right. So let's dive into dyslexia. So can you explain to the audience what is dyslexia? Dyslexia. I don't know why I want to tongue. <laughs> There's certain words I get tongue tied. (laughs) so So a simple
1: definition for dyslexia is it's an inherited condition that makes it extremely difficult to read write and spell in your native language despite having average intelligence so it is not an intelligence thing it's a language processing really and no two people with dyslexia are alike it's a continuum mild to severe and not all people have the same symptoms like one of the reasons I didn't recognize that I was dyslexic was because I can read and I like to read. Mm. One of the indicators was when my kiddos started to read my own children and they could read really fast, like like they'd finish a book and I, like like in a day. And I was like, you know, like a, like a Harry Potter book or whatever. And I was like, oh, I don't read that fast. And so I started mm. to kind of wonder before I ever started, you know, tutoring, but I have never spelled well. I have always used, you know, from the time I went to college, you know, I I took my Macintosh classic to college and I used the spell check feature. And even then I couldn't always find the errors. You know, it doesn't pick up everything, but, but some students it's, you know, they can't sound out a word, Um, Mm. but, you know, primarily spelling is usually uh, more difficult for dyslexics. And sometimes like specifically with sight words, maybe a student is reading and they can read the word said on this page, but they turn the page and they don't recognize that word on the Hmm. next page. So there's some inconsistencies with like how they perform. Another kind of a sign of dyslexia is like directionality issues. So a student might have trouble or an adult with left, right, or up, down, or directionality words, like using them correctly. Even sequencing things can be difficult. I know also like difficulty with memory for non-meaningful tasks, like so history facts, if, if, if it's not a subject that you're particularly interested in, particularly interested in, the facts are irrelevant. So they're hard to remember. Random bits of information like phone numbers, you know, I, I kind of joke and say, oh, these cell phones have spoiled us. We don't have to remember phone numbers. It's all in there but it's truly difficult for me to remember a phone number, (laughs) you know, even if I have to. So I, you know, I actually literally have to review my, the, my husband's, my kids in case I would lose my phone. Like I, I, that's a regular thing that I will review because I have so much trouble remembering them because, you know, it used to be, we would dial. And so that, that sensory of actually dialing, like I can give you my phone number from, you know, eight years old and my grandmother's number and all this, but I physically had to dial them. And so that's like, Ingrained in my memory, so things like that. I'm trying to think. There's there are so many things, and, and you know you can diagnose a student as early as five and a half years old. Okay, but they're often missed. A lot of our students are in school and they're not doing bad enough.
0: Right, right. <laughs> That's
1: literally it. Oh, they're fine. Same thing. You know, it, it, this is how we sometimes with the ADHD. Same thing with dyslexia. Oh, they're doing okay. It's not terrible, you know, and meanwhile, they they are working so hard and there's anxiety and those types of things.
0: So you talk a lot about the struggles, how and you you talk about their miss. So how can somebody recognize it like a teacher or a parent? I mean, you talked about reading slower than your children. I mean, you talk there's just so many aspects to this. So how can you recognize it so you can catch it in time?
1: So when you're looking at your students, you can look at now, now all students as they're learning, all children, as they're learning to read and write, they might reverse some letters, right? They have P's and B's and, Mm -hmm. you know, and I, I don't know if you've seen the graphic that a chair looks like a chair, no matter Mm -hmm. how you turn it. And that's P's, B's, D's, that's Mm -hmm. the kind of thing. But what happens is our kiddos after, you know, being in school for a year or two, they're still having those confusions, right? They're still flipping their B's and D's when they read, if they're not able to sound out, if they're, you know, if if you, I can go at but another a child who is struggling may not recognize that the C says k and the A says mm. at, they can't hear those individual sounds or they can't understand mm. how to blend that together. And the same thing for, for if you're going to spell that, I could say spell cat, and if they don't know that k corresponds to C, they're not going to write that. Mm. Um, these kiddos are uh, reluctant to write because it is so hard, and they'll leave out vowels because they they can't hear them. Um, and really, if you kind of back up to the phonemic awareness level, where you know they can't they can't understand that sounds are separate, or what is a rhyme? You know, cat and hat and bat that rhymes. Well, those things don't they don't really get those connections yet. Mm. There's just so many things. Where the other kiddos spelling tests every week, you know, the kids study their spelling words, they pass the test, but then two days later, that same kiddo can't spell the word that they knew. Well, Mm. because they can only hold it in there long enough because we're counting on this memorization and it's a working memory problem, just like ADHD is the working memory problem. So what happens is our kiddos need, you know, direct explicit instruction, structured literacy like they need to go clear back to that phonemic awareness level and they need to learn how to rhyme they need to learn that i hear if i say mat there are three sounds at and they have to learn all of those pieces and when they have that piece then they need to learn the sound to symbol correspondence right mm-hmm. but they need to be taught so when i'm teaching a student um and we're at that point you know you teach them in a multi-sensory manner, you know, and I teach them the trick for for B's and D's, you know, you know, balloons go up, this is a B, pigs go down, this is a peep, mm-hmm. you know, those kinds of things, and they have to be taught every single step of everything, you wow. know, you know, consonant vowel, consonant words, you know, and, and each rule, that's the thing, and there's a lot of educators working with the science of reading. I don't know if you've talked about that. And that's really saying that the way we teach our dyslexic kiddos, all students would benefit from that. Yeah. And we would catch those ones. There are those kids with dyslexia that are, that are really mild, that kind of structured teaching within the classroom Mm that will catch that kiddo, that kiddo would maybe never need to be pulled out. Right. But the ones that are severe, you know, that will still help them because nobody was born. We aren't born with the ability to read, right? Right. We're not. We have to be taught how to read.
0: Yeah. And to your point, it's about teaching your child the way they can receive the information. And that just goes for anything that we do. You know, I teach my children. I have taught my children since they were babies. And I realized that what I do with my daughter is going to be different with my son. So I can see that with what you're talking about, the reading piece of it is if you are willing to teach them differently you may be able to catch it or you don't have to catch it because you're already putting those strategies in place when they're younger that they can take as they get older
1: right and really like with dyslexic students there's it's the method is or the approach is orton gillingham and it's under the structured literacy and mm-hmm. it's multi-sensory explicit systematic instruction you know nice. literally um you know one of the just an example one of the rules that i teach is called the kiss the cat rule and the kiss the cat rule says spell k- with a c whenever you can mm. but what you teach your student is if a c is followed by an e an i or a y, the c will say s right so lots of people just know that because they're exposed to language and they right. read and they do that but our kiddos need that taught. Once they learn it, then they'll apply it. And every little rule that's like, you know, you teach so many rules, you know, the floss rule says, you know, if a word has only one vowel and it ends in F, L, S, or Z, you double that letter. So floss and jazz. And, you know, so then they know if they hear something that ends with S and it only has one vowel, oh, it needs a double S. Mm -hmm. Right. And then we teach them the exceptions to that. You know, gas says, the S says, but it's only one letter, one S, it's not doubled because that's a shorter word for gasoline. You know, you teach them like every single piece of it and it seems like a lot, but it works. It really works.
0: That's amazing. So you you talked about uh, a few strategies. Should they be practicing on a daily basis. I mean, I know sometimes this really takes time, it's just reading in general, right? Learning right. how to read takes time and practice. But I think that going through that system make it frustrating sometimes. So what is your recommendation? Because for me, I'm thinking they have got to practice every single day until they get it, because they will get it, right? Right.
1: What I advise with the students that I work with you really need any of these programs, obviously as much as possible, but a minimum of twice a week okay. for, you know, an hour. And then if so I never wanna damage the the relationship that we have. So I don't give them homework. And I think that everybody has sort of a different approach now if they say i want to take this story home or i want to teach my mom this you know that's great um but until with the system that i use until they get to about the end of level four i really don't encourage them to read independently unless it's one of the controlled stories because everything we do is is absolutely controlled so that they're not running into anything that they haven't learned yet because we by the time we get these kiddos the self-esteem is has been damaged or inhibited or um and so we we want to keep them only making gains and so by keeping the materials controlled then they are successful, right? So, so that's kind of, you know, so I don't say, yes, we want to give them every opportunity, but the, the biggest piece of advice I give the parents is keep reading to your kiddo, okay. because you are building their vocabulary. They are, you know, still reading their ear reading, um, audio books. So the things that we do as we're learning and getting up through our program until we get to a point where they can be independent and pick up anything, we want them to still be reading. And if your kiddo is a second grader, but th- they can only read at a kindergarten level, but they want to learn and they are interested in things that might be at a fifth grade level, read them that, you know, Mm -hmm. they, they they're definitely the the comprehend, you're building comprehension, you're building vocabulary, you're keeping them interested. Um, And you'll, you will still run into people that think that listening or ear reading is not really reading and it is reading. It's the same areas of your brain are processing Mm -hmm. language. And so that's really important. And I find like personally for me, if it's a fiction book, I am usually going to read it unless it's a, it's like, I remember reading the book Wicked and there were a lot of made up names. And so I listened to it on audio until I could get a grasp for how to pronounce Mm. all the names and then I finished it. But for the most part, just general fiction, I will read either on my Kindle or or in a book. But if it's nonfiction or um, very often, I will listen to it. I have an Audible subscription. I use that because it's just easier Um, to, to hear than to, to read with my eyes. It's easier to read with my ears, but that's one of the best things for students is just keep reading to them. And that way they're not limited to what they can hear, you know, what they can learn.
0: I love that. I love that. So let's talk a little bit about tying it together. So how does ADHD affect dyslexia?
1: So it's not necessarily that it doesn't affect i mean it can but what happens is 20 to 40 percent of dyslexics have adhd okay and about 25 percent of our ADHDers have dyslexia okay so what you're what's happening is you can have your kiddo with adhd who has reading issues or you can have your student with dyslexia who has the adhd piece and you really need to treat both separately, you know, the strategies, you're managing them, but recognizing, you know, that's, it's both of those have a working memory issues, right? Right. Um, and, um, just, you know, kind of approaching each differently, you know, strategies that are specific to dyslexia, strategies that are specific to your ADHD or, um, and, and that whole piece of just coaching them through the, these are pieces of you. These are not the whole you, these, Mm. these things, you know, this is not, it's part of what makes you who you are, but it's not, like even just talking to my son recently, just it's, it's, Knowing the different aspects, knowing where the areas of weakness are for dyslexia, for ADHD, That's then you've, okay, how am I going to use a strategy to overcome that I see. or get through that piece? So really it's, it's a separate kind of management, but they really do tie together because there's the, you know, often a comorbidity and you don't recognize like I recognized the dyslexia in myself and I thought, oh, that's everything. And then later that piece of the ADHD, oh, that's the rest of it. <laughs> gotcha. You know? And so that seeing sense. that in your kiddo, because you may start, okay, maybe we start this intervention for ADHD, but oh, they're still having trouble reading there's something going on, more going on, or the same piece, you know, we've got uh, working on the reading pieces, but oh, they're still having trouble, you know, they can't sit still, they're having trouble focusing, you know, all of those visible pieces of the ADHD, and then, you know, kind of addressing that. You know, I always tell my, my, my students and their parents, it's my job to meet you where you are. And, you know, sometimes kiddos come in and I'm like, whoa, that kiddo has ADHD. But it's not necessarily, I can bring it up in a, in a way that's appropriate to their family. But, you know, it's still my job to meet them where they are. Right. And, and so that means that I have to make adjustments, you know, and because i have experience as a parent as a as someone who's taught students in school i can do that you know do we need to stand up for this whole lesson we can stand up do we need this you know whatever yes. we need to do um and i just think that's the biggest piece is if if it's my job to meet my students where they are it's really our job as parents to meet them where they are this is like okay if this is how you walk into the world today you know whether you have a diagnosis you don't whether it's suspected wherever you are i have to figure out what is it that you need and give you what you need. Yes. And help you and help you see that as well.
0: Yeah. And that willingness to give the children what they need is so key, right? Because a lot of us, because I, I even started this way, where at first I wanted to put them in this box. Yes. Right. I wanted them to be exactly like other kids or the way I grew up, even though I struggled because I was, you know, more like my daughter, just trying to fit in, it didn't show it externally, right? And so I was able to kind of get into that box when I needed to. Right. But there's just so many kids who do not fit into that box. And that was one of my frustration when I was going through different systems. And I used to say that all the time is my child or my children do not fit into that box. Can you do something for them? Well, I have 30 kids and I can't do... OK, then when I have to move them <laughs> because I really wanted to make sure they were getting them what they need. Now, don't get me wrong. I want them to be ready to be whoever they are in society, whether they're an entrepreneur or an artist or they go to college and have a you know, successful career. Whatever they decide to do, I wanted them to learn those skill sets, but I wanted them to learn the skill sets the way they learn. And I think that is just so, so important. And I actually was just, I did a um an interview with Dina, who's a lawyer. And she, you know, she was telling me how she was taking her, what is it called? It's the final exam to become a lawyer. I can't think of it right now. The bar, I think. The bar yeah. exam. Yeah, she, so. yeah, you see, ADHD. <laughs> I'm like, what is it called? Oh, bar. <laughs> so okay. yeah. So it, it's just amazing. Because, you know, she was trying to get those accommodations, and she said that she absolutely killed the exam once they finally gave her the accommodations that she needed. And it took like four times, right? Or four times before they would even give it to her, or four interactions. And so imagine if they just gave it to her the first time, she might have been absolutely done with it and moved on, right? Right. So meeting them where they are, I think is just so important. So, yeah. So thank you for sharing that. Well, and wh- and, and you know, I'm sorry, I just oh, go say and, you know,
1: you mentioned a teacher saying, oh, I have 30 students. Well, chances are 10 other students need what yes. your kid needs. And yeah. that's a thing. And it becomes easier. It's, it's my instinct in the way that I was raised and is very much like it is so much easier to just yell. <laughs> like it's easier yeah. because you don't think you just you react right. and you're done with it. And it's so much harder to okay think it through and what is it you know it's it's a lot harder and so you know I always say I I can understand why parents parents and I understand why they're the way they are because it's hard it's hard work to do the rest of this it's really hard work (laughs) but usually it helps more than just your own kid. It helps you, you know, and if it's a classroom situation, there's probably 10 other kids that could right. benefit from whatever it is.
0: But Right. I agree with that, Elizabeth. So you're saying that you would handle the ADHD piece and the, the strategies for the dyslexia piece separately. Is there a strategy in terms of do they focus on one or the other a little bit more or Is there a way to really focus on them together, even though they may have some separate strategies? Does that make sense?
1: So it makes sense. So I guess I look at it this way. I look at more of the circumstance of okay, in the setting. So say they're working a student is working with me one-on-one. They may they have the dyslexia piece, they may Mm -hmm. have the ADHD piece. So I'm just gonna do whatever I need to do to make that work. For gotcha. for example, it could be a dyslexia thing, dyslexic strategy, it could be an ADHD strategy, I'm gonna do, and so I would say to parents, you're looking rather than I'm looking at dyslexia, I mean, yes, there are things to address separately, like the right kind of teaching for yeah. dyslexia, the right kind of, if it's medication and strategies for ADHD, right? You're gonna address those separately, but you're gonna look at each individual situation of like, okay, if it's time to um, do our homework, what is it that you need right now for homework, right? And. How is that going to work for you? And then you're, as a parent, you're piecing together. What are the pieces from both areas that I need gotcha. right now? Whether that is somebody needs to sit here with you, you need an incentive, those kinds of things. And I, I um, my son, just kind of to add this piece, my son, um, we, we have a coach for him who specializes in teenagers and college students. And we've had him since December and it's been wonderful. But one of the things that he said to me when this all started is, you can't fix everything all at once which I know that, you know, and he said that and I'm like, right. And I said, and I understand the piece that we might, we might work through one particular area. And as we are working through the next area, the first area sort of slides, yeah. because your focus is so far here. And um, so I think it's the same thing, you know, you might have something in place for your kiddo that works really well but then you try something new and then you're like, well, well, they're not doing that. They knew how to do that. It's just recognizing that it isn't all going to, it's a, it's a two steps forward, one step back, the expression kind of situation. And just being able to not take it personal. And I don't know what your experience is, but there's been a lot of times that it's like, Oh, they're doing that to me. And they're not, they're not doing it to anybody. They're not even doing it on purpose. It's just where they are.
0: Right.
1: So I, I think just looking at everything and, and another huge thing that, um, with my students, with my son, with myself is replaying back, okay, what worked here? What did we just do that worked really well? What did we do that didn't work well? And how could I have done it different? I mean, there's a lot of that mm-hmm. at my house. I've, I've always been a big, with my kids, whether it was ADHD related or not, if I didn't behave in a way that was the right way as a parent. Like if I yelled when I didn't need to yell or I, you know, whatever it is, or I was too harsh, I always have gone back and said, my delivery was terrible. I'm very sorry. If I could do it again, this is what I would do. And then kind of have them look at that same way. And and so you can look at it on that level of, okay, when things have just gone wrong, or you can just look at it on a level of when things go right. If that, I hope that doesn't seem too vague, but I think that just applies everywhere. What can I do? How do I analyze it? I'm sure there's a technical term for that.
0: (laughs) No, but you make a really good point. You have to be flexible and you have to be okay. You also have to be okay that your strategy worked today, but it doesn't work tomorrow. Right? Right. I have over this time, a bunch of tools in my toolbox. (laughs) And I'm flexible in terms of when I'm going to use those certain tools and I've become okay with that. And then also my children are growing and they're getting older, which means that the strategies are going to change again. And don't get me wrong. I mean, there are things that my parents have taught me that I still do today as an adult, but a lot of things I've done differently just because I'm older and that's going to happen with your children. So being flexible, be open to be flexible is going to be key too.
1: Right. Right. For sure.
0: Yep. All right. So just to close it up, um, one thing I wanted to ask, if people want to find information or just help around dyslexia or ADHD, what are some of your recommendations?
1: So as far as like, if you wanted to get on the internet and look at things, um, the Yale Center for Dyslexia has a lot of wonderful information and is run by, um, it's Dr. Sally Shaywitz. And she actually wrote a book called Overcoming Dyslexia, and it talks through all of the information. It's very, it can be very technical, but it's, if you really wanna know everything, that's a yeah. good place to go. I think it's Ben Foss wrote the Dyslexia Empowerment Plan. Okay. Um, and that's a really great thing. I often refer, um, because I use the specific Spartan Reading and Spelling System, I refer people to the Barton, uh, it's bartonreading.com, because um, Susan Barton, the developer of that program, actually has a wonderful amount of information about dyslexia specifically signs and symptoms the instagram community has been wonderful and and mm. i came into it knowing things and i've still learned a yeah. ton and just found resources that are amazing and you know some schools are still not addressing dyslexia they're not calling it dyslexia but the laws are changing and so things are mm. improving but you can you know you can always start with if you if you suspect something Go to your school first. If that isn't what you need, then you know we can you refer out to a psychologist or mm-hmm. a neuropsychologist and that kind of thing.
0: Perfect. And Elizabeth, if they have any more questions for you, how can they get a hold of you?
1: Um, you can find me at on Instagram at the Dyslexia Digest. Feel free to direct message me there. I think my email is in my bio. They can find me there. And I'm happy to help them or get them in the right direction. I always say when um, parents call me, I'll say sometimes they call specifically to ask me to tutor. Sometimes they just want information. And I always say, I don't have to be your person. I will help you find the person that you need or the people that you need, because that is the mission is to help people understand dyslexia and get the services they need wherever they are. So
0: very cool. And any last minute thoughts, anything that we missed that you just want to say, any closing thoughts?
1: No, there's always going to be a lot to say, (laughs) but I, I will say for the ADHD piece, don't wait for your kiddo. Don't wait too long, but always know it doesn't matter what you did or didn't do. It's what you do now with what you know, right? And I will say that the best thing that I did for my kiddo is getting him this coach. He feels a sense of independence that he hadn't felt before, and he is seeing a future that he also, I think, couldn't see without this kind of guidance that he's getting so
0: love it well thank you that was absolutely wonderful i learned a lot so thank you thank you thank you elizabeth thank
1: you so much for having me
0: yeah it was perfect all right thank you everyone for joining another episode of adhd love parent talk podcast if you like today's podcast please leave a review have a wonderful day everyone bye elizabeth bye thank you Thank you for joining us on another episode of ADHD Love Parent Talk. If you enjoyed this episode, please do not forget to leave a review and join me as I talk with another exciting guest next week. Have a wonderful day.